With the NHL All-Star Game come and gone, we are looking now on the second half of the NHL regular season. And oh boy, this is where the grind begins. We're going to be talking Leafs. We're going to be talking Oilers, Bruins, Capitals. A lot coming up here on episode 119 of the Second Thoughts Hockey Podcast. Let's go. Tuesday, February the 8th, almost at 120 episodes here of the Second Thoughts Hockey Podcast. Thank you for tuning in as always. I appreciate it. Uh, follow along with the show on Instagram and Twitter at ST Hockey Podcast, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. Just search Second Thoughts Hockey Podcast. Uh, the Hockey Writers articles about the Vancouver Canucks, my latest one out about the offense from the beginning of the season until now. Still a problem in Vancouver, and there are some culprits and some reasons as to why, and that doesn't change. Their playoff hopes are going to evaporate very quickly. Just go to the Hockey Writers and go to the Vancouver Canucks page, and you'll see a whole bunch of articles involving me. Uh, Okay, so for this episode, we're going to talk and break down the All-Star Weekend, wrap it up, what I liked about it, what I didn't like about it. Uh, We'll go to the Toronto Maple Leafs, who, funny enough, played last night against a really good team in the Carolina Hurricanes. I want to talk their goaltending for a second, and we'll quickly touch on Austin Matthews as well uh, the Chicago Blackhawks disaster uh continues we'll we'll get into that a little bit later on as well and then what I want to do in this episode is I'm going to go through three teams that I think are going to be on the rise for the second half and three teams that I think will fall off okay so three teams that are on the rise three teams that I think will fall so we'll get to all that in just a little bit but let's start here with the NHL all-star weekend and it's come and gone some highlights, uh, Claude Giroux named the All-Star MVP, Jordan Cairo was the fastest skater, Victor Hedman the hardest shot, uh, Jack Campbell and Andre Vasilevsky won the save streak, Zach Wierenski winning the fountain challenge, but of course, this is the moment that everybody's talking about. Tonight, the biggest crowd they ever had was in a game she played, and I think this is going to be a lot of fun, here's Trevor Zegras with a ode to dodgeball. Well, there's a reason Trevor is here, and... This is very much all about what he is. He's done some amazing things in this young man's career. You can dodge a wrench, you can dodge a ball. We're gonna do the blindfold trick, here we go. Jimmy, put a blindfold on Get some help from his teammate. It's a bold strategy, Simmer. Let's see if it works out. So apparently there's gonna be Oh, here we go. The mascot's coming out to try and distract. Look up. Wow. Are you kidding me? Man, Trevor Zegris is special. And I'm going to say something here. I was talking to a couple friends about this. I think not skill, not production. I think that Trevor Zegris might be one of the most talented players. In the NHL. Like, I think he's got to be one of the most talented just based on what he can do in his ability with the puck in his hands. I'm not talking skill as in McDavid to put up 160 points. I'm not talking about that. Just a pure skill standpoint. His stick handling, his puck control, uh, his fun and entertainment factor that he that he brings in. He's also got a personality. I think the fact that he didn't win to the 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 shootout challenge or whatever the award was called is a travesty it's kind of a joke considering the matt Lef- or the um the peter lafleur dodgeball reference where the mascots are throwing dodgeballs at him he's got one hand on his stick flailing the puck around pulls it back to his forehand and then fires it opposite side on the goaltender i think it's super unfortunate that he didn't win the thing but nevertheless uh, really happy that the fact that they have a talent in Trevor Zegers, and I think he's one of the most talented players, if not the most talented on a pure talent entertainment value. Think what he does in games. He's pulled off the Michigan goal and the Michigan pass in the same season for as unbelievable as I think Austin Matthews is. And he's one of the greatest goal scorers in the game today. He's tried the Michigan like two or three times and he can't get it. Now, maybe that's just unluckiness, but like Trevor Zegers has done it twice 
a pass and a shot, and he's he's two for two. It's phenomenal. Svechnikov's done it twice too, but I I just think pure talent wise, he's got to be one of the most captivizing players when he's got the puck, and and good for him. Um, my thoughts on it: I I don't like the fact that there are three games. You kind of lose. Like, you just kind of lose the entertainment value. Make it one game, two teams. Make it three on three. I don't care. And just make it two teams. I don't like the three-team thing. I lose interest by the end of it. Because then you're like, uh, like once the first couple games go, you're like, all right, I'm over the competition of the All-Star game. By the time the final hits, you're kind of over it and you moved on to something else. Make it one game. I do like the fact that it's got to be in places like Vegas. The, the, the fountain challenge is one of the coolest things. It was like the domino. The, the, the 21 challenge um, was really cool as well. I think uh, I think places like Vegas or entertainment places like like even St. Louis, Nashville, Music City on, on Broadway Street, places like that. New York would be a good one, too. But you, you've got to have it at captivating areas. Toronto would be a good one, right? It's it's the Mecca, but you cannot have it in places like uh, Edmonton. Um, you can't have it in places like Arizona, even Los LA, LA would be a beautiful spot, Anaheim, right? Vegas, all those places are money. It, as long as the league keeps doing it in places like that, it's automatically going to give it like a floor that's at least tolerable and make you want to see some of the new innovative things that they do. But you know, now this is where the grind begins. That's why this is the title of the podcast. This is where. Trade deadlines in a month and a half. Some teams are going to separate from the pack. Some teams are going to fall behind. Got a bunch of really great matchups and stretches here. It's going to be interesting to see what teams do at the deadline. There's going to be buyers, sellers, what the costs of players are. I'm uh, I'm I'm very very intrigued. But you know, I I would say overall it wasn't the worst All Star weekend. Wasn't the best All Star weekend. But they've got to find. You've got to bring guys in. For certain events, like Victor Hedman won the hardest shot. I, I, it was just that used to be like when you had Shea Weber and Zdeno Chara, and I know Ovechkin had COVID or else he was participating in it, but like Ovechkin doing the hardest shot, like you had this just race when it was those two going at it and they were putting up 102 and 103 and 104. Like the hardest shot was like the 100 meter dash for the NHL. The fastest skater, for some reason, they've got to do it. It's fun, but they I don't know why. They've got to find something to make it more captivating because it's got to be like a straight line race or it's got to be, I don't know, because it's hard to keep it safe. But the hardest shot the hardest shot is their bread and butter. It is the it's easily one of the more captivating things that they do. It's been the longest standing one in terms of like entertainment value. And they got to find guys who have the hardest shot, like just bring players in for the sake of it. Just to just to see who legitimately has the hardest shot. It happened to work out when Shea Weber and Zidane Chara were just all stars and they had bombs. But bring in put put Stammer in that put Ovechkin put Line in. Put guys that have absolute rockets for shots and see how it goes from there. But all in all, the weekend was fine. I liked I liked the fact that it was in Vegas. They did some innovative things. But now this is where the grind begins. And I'm uh, I'm pretty excited about it. Um, okay, so let's move on here. So obviously, last night there were a couple games that went on. The Ottawa Senators beat the New Jersey Devils. And a good matchup, too, was the Toronto Maple Leafs taking on the Carolina Hurricanes. And I got to tell you, there was no rust. There was no awkwardness for the first 10 minutes. This was a really good hockey game. Now, the Leafs came on top 4-3. Austin Matthews got hurt at the end. We'll discuss that in a little bit. But coming into the game... After the All-Star weekend, because Jack Campbell was called an All-Star and he was there all weekend in Vegas, the Leafs put Peter Morazic in that. And there's been a lot of conversation on Peter Morazic as a goaltender. And I feel like a lot of Leaf fans don't have a lot of trust in him. And I got to tell you something right now. Peter Morazic is just fine for what he is. Peter Morazic was brought into Toronto as a 1B option. Now, what is a 1B option? A 1B option is a goaltender that can either split time 
or play like 40% of the games for a team because their starter doesn't necessarily have a the experience or b you're unsure if he can put up the numbers over a long period of time to sustain over a long season goaltenders excluding that list are like Andre Vasilevsky. You know what Vasilevsky is going to give you night in and night out. Goaltenders in the past, like um, a Henrik Lundqvist and back in the day, like a Carey Price. And like, there were years where Marty Broder played like 75 games. There was an NHL game that came out. I think it was NHL 2001. And you go through the rosters of teams. And when you went to the New Jersey Devils, you went to their goaltenders. It was Marty Broder and backup. It was and backup, like NHL backup. Because they didn't have him registered in the game. That's how much Marty Brodeur played. But the game's changed now. Like, look at the Boston Bruins. They they found the recipe for success. When they had Yuroslav Halak and Tuka Rask, Rask would play like 55 games. Halak would play like 30, 30-something. It, it just worked. Like, the concept just worked. So Toronto in the offseason went out and they signed Peter Mrazek. They signed him to a three-year contract. He makes like three point. I don't know, 3.7 or 3.6, somewhere in that ballpark. And he got off to a little bit of a rocky start, right? He lost his first game. He's won a couple, but he hasn't really been, he hasn't been selling fans on his stats. I mean, this is, he's only played in eight games, seven starts. He's six and two, 2.93 goals against and a 902 save percentage. And those numbers are lofted right now because of the tough start that he had. If I go through his game logs, his first start that he had was against the Ottawa Senators, only faced like 21 shots. He lost the game. He lost it. I think it was like 3-2 or 3-1. Only faced 26 shots on net, made 23 saves. Started again against Detroit, gave up four goals. They won. Played Chicago, gave up four goals. They won. Then played Arizona and lost. Only faced 18 shots on net. So when you lose to Arizona, right in today's game, any any goaltender that would have been in net, you're like, oh, get this guy out of here. He's awful. He's brutal. Uh, he's won four straight games, including last night against the number one in the Metro, or at the time, number one team, Carolina Hurricanes. And I, get, I gave you his numbers. They're not mind-blowing but let me just put it in perspective for a second he has had seasons in carolina in detroit where he has started 54 games he started 50 games he started 40 games 38 games he has had state percentages of 918 of 921 of 914 of 923 last year even in 12 games guys he's a good goalie when you're a goaltender, when you play in an environment, when you play in a system, you adapt to the way the team plays in front of you. Carolina is a much more systematic team. Detroit, before they became awful, were a much more systematic team. They had a structure defensively. Toronto, a little bit more chaotic. They're getting better at it. But when you go from one team to another, you have to adjust to the playing style. He's going to face a lot more high danger scoring opportunities in Toronto. And that's okay, but a goaltender needs time to adjust to these things. Morazic has taken some time. He's only started in eight games. And he's he was off for a month because he was hurt. But he's healthy now. He's starting to even out some starts with Jack Campbell. And he's looked fine, guys. The point of a 1B is, God forbid, your starter gets hurt. Or Jack Campbell starts declining in play. You can put the other guy in who's been a starter in the past, who can play four, five, six consecutive games. Peter Mrazek is very capable of that. And the fact that the Leafs got him on a three-year deal for less than $4 million, I don't hate it. He's also only like 29 years of age. So he signed to 32. 32, that's it. It's not the end of the world. You're going to see a lot of Peter Morazic down the stretch. You have to. You can't play Jack Campbell in the remaining, I don't even know how many games they have left. But you can't play Jack Campbell in the next 35 games. Like, you can't play it. Like, Toronto's record is 30-10-3. They've still got 39 games to play. You cannot play Jack Campbell 35 more times. You can't even play him 30 more times. It's got to be split down. You want guys fresh going into the postseason because once you get a guy, you ride them. And that's where you start to get exhausted. 
you need you need a guy like Mrazek. He's also better than a lot of other backup goalies, probably most backup goaltenders. He's even better than most team starters. Think about it for a second. Who would you rather have, Peter Mrazek or the goaltending tandem in in Edmonton? Right? It's it's not much of a it's not much of a question. Right now, who would you rather have, Peter Mrazek or any one of the goaltenders on Buffalo? Who would you rather have, Peter Mrazek or any one of the goaltenders in Ottawa? Who would you rather have, Peter Mrazek or any one of the goaltenders in New Jersey? Now, some of you might say Mackenzie Blackwood. Sure, but it's a conversation. Minnesota, by the way, their goaltenders are Cam Talbot and what's his name? Kapo Kakinen. Cam Talbot has a 281-913 goals against save percentage. He's the starter. I don't know. I, Cam Talbot's good, but like I kind of I, I feel like I kind of lean Morazic there. Kakinen's put up better numbers than him. I don't know. Who'd you rather have in net? Drop Peter Morazic or James Reimer or Aiden Hill on San Jose? The fact that I've done this with now four or five teams tells you everything you need to know. The Leafs have Jack Campbell and Peter Morazic. Some teams would love to have just one of them. And the Leafs have both. I think he's kind of coming around. I think a lot of fans didn't know a whole lot about Peter Morazic. He went, he won the goaltender of the tournament at the World Junior Hockey Championships. I want to say in 2011 or 2012. He's that good. And can be that good. Now, maybe he doesn't get to that elite level again in the league. But he's just fine as a 1B. And if he needs to take on a couple more starts, that's okay. It's a luxury to have a guy like that. He's better than most backups and even some of the starters in the league right now. The Leafs play well with him. It's not the worst thing in the world if you see 35 in net. Uh, we'll get to Austin Matthews a little bit later on. He suffered a head injury, looked like a concussion, took a, a knee to the back of the head coming across the ice when he was driving. Um, and there was no, it wasn't, it was incidental contact. There was no attempt to do anything like that. But nevertheless, uh, hopefully he'll be okay for the Leafs. I think they got three games in the next week before they play next Thursday. If he misses those three games, he misses those three games. It's not the end of the world. They play Seattle and Vancouver. They got Calgary on Thursday. So, God forbid you lose Calgary. You've got a pretty good chance of beating Seattle and uh, and the Vancouver Canucks. Okay, so before we get into our next story here, let me just say this. Everybody makes mistakes. Everybody does. It's impossible to not make a mistake in life. Nobody's perfect. That's why there's the saying, you're human. Right? When someone's trying to do more than they can handle. They're exhausted. They come home. You just tell them you're human. It's okay if you're not perfect. It's okay if you make mistakes. Now, having said that, the other great thing about being human is that when you make a mistake, you learn what you've done wrong and you grow from it. You make sure that you try not to make that mistake again. It's like in an area, like let's say you're in a relationship and God forbid you cheat right even if it's if it's it's one time the relationship ends it sucks then you meet somebody else if you cheat again you don't learn from it you know not like you were going to get sympathy before but don't expect a different result like if you go up to someone you say you made a mistake it was awful and that person you know takes some time takes you back and then you, you do it again There's just a lot less sympathy, a lot less people in your corner, and that's a pretty bad mistake. The Chicago Blackhawks made a pretty abysmal mistake with Kyle Beach back in 2010, where he was a victim of sexual assault. The story went absolutely, um, the, the story exploded, and the Blackhawks were under fire, and had a town hall, let's say, which was organized by the team, uh, 
This happened last week for the first time since the Blackhawks brass held a publicly um, open event taking questions since the reaching of a confidential settlement with Kyle Beach back in December. And this was a part of negligence lawsuit against the club. Beach said that former Blackhawks video coach Brad Aldrich sexually assaulted him while he was a black ace for the team during the 2010 Stanley Cup playoffs where they won the cup. So there are a lot of, you know, there's there's a lot of reporters out there who, you know, it's it's the media world's tough because you want to ask questions about hockey you want to ask questions about personal things you want to get too personal you ruin your reputation there are some incredible ones out there one of those is the athletics marks mark lazarus now during this it was open for questioning and he asked blackhawk ceo danny wertz the following question i know we're looking forward here but i think we have to look back to also I think much of what happened to Kyle Beach stemmed from a power imbalance between a coach and a player and the powerlessness of a player in that situation. So what are the Blackhawks doing? What have the Blackhawks done? What will the Blackhawks be doing to empower a player in a similar situation to make sure this doesn't happen again? Here's what happened next. Mark Lazarus, The Athletic. Um, I guess my question would be for Danny. I, I know we're looking forward here, but I think we have to look back also. And I think much of what happened to Kyle Beach stemmed from a, a power imbalance between a coach and a player and the powerlessness of a player in that situation. So what are the Blackhawks doing? What have the Blackhawks done? What will the Blackhawks do to empower a player in a similar situation to make sure that doesn't happen again? I'm going to answer the question at the end. I think the report speaks for itself. The people that were involved are no longer here. We're not looking back at 2010. We're looking forward. And we're not going to talk about 2010. I'm we're, I, I know, and I'm not either. And we're not going to talk about what happened. We're moving forward. That is my answer. Now, what's your next question? I can pick up to what we are doing today. And I think no, I don't know. That's none of your business. That's none of your business. What we're going to do today is our business. I don't think it's any of your business. How is it not my business? Because I don't think it's any of your business. You don't work for the company. If someone in the company asks that question, we'll answer it. And I think you should get on to the next subject. We're not going to talk about Kyle Beach. We're not going to talk about anything that happened. Now we're moving on. What more do I have to say? You want to keep asking the same question? You hear the same answer? Okay, ask the next question. Okay, good. He berated a reporter simply doing his job and asking a fair question. Mistakes are made. Some of them are abysmal. Right? And I get that. But you can learn from this. You can embrace it, take responsibility for it. And you know what's funny going through the transcript here too? Because we'll get to something in a second because there was a statement released later. But in the moment, you had a big opportunity in front of cameras by the way, which is a lot more meaningful than a written statement that gets posted later. He, th he said, remember, listen to what he said. He said, I think the report speaks for itself. The people that were involved are no longer here. We're not looking back on 2010. We're looking forward. We're not going to talk about it. We're moving forward. That's my answer. That's none of your business. You don't work for the company. If anybody in the company asks the question, we'll answer it. At some point, if you don't take responsibility, and again, I will get to this, I will get to the statement from Rocky Words in a second, but in the moment, because I think the statement is, is worthless, I think it's worthless, in the moment, I don't care how heated you get, this has been, you knew this was coming, you held an open-ended town hall for reporters to come in and ask you questions about the state of your team, the future of your team, and maybe some things that are still lingering with the club. It was a fair question about what the Blackhawks were going to be doing to better themselves moving forward based on events that happened in the past. And he lost it. Lost it. All you had to do was say, we are going to be talking with all the staff and players of this team. We want to make sure that this is a healthy environment. 
We take full responsibility for what happened. We apologize. We've reached out to Kyle. We're going to make sure that that never happens again within the Blackhawks organization. And we're sorry. How hard was that to say? That's not written down. I'm not a member of the Blackhawks. I came up with that on the spot. It's simple. It's broad. And it also should be true. And ready for this, here was the statement afterwards from Rocky Wirtz following his blow-up. Quote, Tonight at the Chicago Blackhawks Town Hall, my response to two questions crossed the line. I want to apologize to the fans and those reporters, and I regret that my response overshadowed the great work this organization is doing to move forward. We have the right leaders and right processes in place to create a safe environment for our employees and players. You want to know who didn't come up with that statement from Rocky Wirtz? Rocky Wirtz. There's not a chance in the world he came up with that. I don't buy it for a goddamn second. Not even a little bit. It came afterwards. He freaked out. He knew it. And then he kept going with it. And then released that only afterwards when he was advised to by the PR team or whoever who basically wrote the statement, got the okay from him, and then released it. Not a chance in the world he came up with that. Why is it so hard to, to, to own up to your responsibility, to own up to your mess? Be like, yeah, it happened 10 years ago. Wish we did something more about it. I take full responsibility for it. We've started the groundwork for laying things out so that this is a safe environment moving forward. And we're going to hire people and put people in the right position so that this never happens again. We've said it before. We are say it again. We are we, we apologize. We are sorry on behalf of the Blackhawks organization, the staff, the players, the fans, Kyle, his family, his friends that had to go through this. It was on us. That's like... <laughs> All, all this whole thing, all Kyle Beach was looking for was just own up and admit you knew it was happening. Like, yeah, we knew it was happening. Regardless, if we got caught up in the in the Stanley Cup playoff run, it's wrong. It's abysmal. It was brought to our attention. We didn't do anything about it. It's never going to happen again. We're sorry it had to happen in the first place. But we will right our wrongs and make sure that no players ever involved in something like this ever again. I don't know. Maybe it's because I get paid to talk for a living, but it doesn't seem that hard to say. And his written statement afterwards, which doesn't put a face on it at all. He didn't even make like a video or a public. It was a, it was a written statement by the, by the Blackhawks PR team. So I don't buy it for a second. I think, um, I know he's the CEO and chairman or whatever, but I think he needs to go. That's when you don't learn from your mistakes. And you act the way that Rocky Wirtz acted. I'm telling you right now, nothing's changing. And there's another case out right now, by the way, involving a player in an AHL team within the organization. Nothing's going to change unless you clean sweep everything. Clean sweep it. Because clearly that dude's not doing anything. And whoever's above him is in his corner because dude's not gone yet. If an assistant coach was at that town hall and made that statement and he was buddies with whatever the guy's name, Aldrich, and he freaked out and he made that statement, that dude would have been fired within the hour. You can find someone to remove a chair from the board. You're allowed to make mistakes. Everyone does, regardless of how big and awful they are. But if you don't learn from them, nobody has sympathy for you. People are going to stop caring. People are going to stop trying to help you. 
and you're going to be on your own. And then when you come out and say something, it's going to hold no merit. Why? Because you don't learn from your mistakes. I'm very intrigued to see what's going to happen with that team moving forward. But anyways, rough stuff going on in Chicago right now. Um, Okay, so at the beginning of the, the show... I talked about the fact that this is this is the time. This is where the grind begins, right? All-star break is over. Teams are going to start figuring out where they settle. Some teams are going to be on the rise. Some teams are going to be on the fall. I'm going to go through some teams here that I think are on the rise and some teams I think are going to fall. And I'll do three per category. And I'll talk about reasons why. I'll talk about what they've done and what they can be doing. So the first team I think is going to be on the rise is the Boston Bruins. Now, when I say on the rise, that's not necessarily mean that they're in a bad spot to begin with, because right now Boston is sitting with 55 points in 43 games. I believe they hold one of the two wildcard positions. They hold the final wildcard position right now in the playoffs. I think that they could rise even more based on where they are. They could go on a streak and supplant the Toronto Maple Leafs. Maybe Tampa slips up a little bit. But I think Boston is really just going to continuously rise and rise and rise. It's going to be hard to see. But if I'm looking at it right now, Florida's got 69 points. Tampa's got 66. Toronto is 63. They played 47, 46, and 43 games. Boston's played 43. They have 55 points. It's eight points back of Toronto. But here's where I think they could possibly sneak into that top three. They're in a playoff spot right now, but they're nine points clear of Detroit. And they've played four less games. They're 14 points clear of the next closest team, which is Columbus. And they've played the same amount of games. I'm not going to do this whole, oh, Detroit could be on the rise. Columbus, you never know about the Islanders. They're gone. They're gone. The Islanders can win four straight games. And they're still nine points behind the Bruins. That's if they win four straight. And they've been abysmal this year. So I'm not playing that game where I think, oh, Detroit might be a team. I'm I'm legitimately thinking teams that I could get even better than what they already are. That's why I'm saying the Bruins. They've also got Tuka Rask back. Now, they've had Rask back for a while, but he's only played four games. He has a 4.29 goals against and an 8.44 save percentage. Those numbers are not going to stay. They've also got two other goaltenders in line, Allmark and Jeremy Swayman. They signed Allmark to a four-year deal, a five-year deal. He's not going anywhere. They could trade Swayman. They could beef off their roster, probably get another forward, and be even better. And with Tuka Rass playing more and more and more games, he could eventually become back to where he was, where he's about like a 2.4 goals against and like a 9-10, 9-15 save percentage. I'm not saying it's guaranteed to happen, but you never know. The more and more games you play, the more comfortable and fit you feel they're also six three and one in their last 10 games boston could be a team that could sneak into the top three in the atlantic division the next team that i think could be on the rise funny enough is a team above them right now one spot for the second wild card spot and that is the washington capitals here's why i say with the washington capitals washington is 59 points you'd be like kyle 59 points they'd be leading the pacific yeah but they're not in the pacific they're in the metro where Carolina, New York, and Pittsburgh are all ahead of them. I think Pittsburgh could fall out of where they are right now. I think Pittsburgh is playing out of their friggin' minds. I think they could supplant Pittsburgh. They've dealt with some injuries. They've been kind of 500 lately. Alex Ovechkin has cooled off. They're 5-5 five and five in their last 10 games. But Nicholas Backstrom is, is settled in. He's only played 14 games. If Genny Kuznetsov looks like he's back to finding his ways with a point per game, he's got 45 points in 44 games. John Carlson, uh, Tom Wilson is up to 31 points in 43 games this season. They've split their goaltending tandem right down the middle. Ilya Samsonov and Vitek Vanacek. Vanacek, though, has been significantly better. 239 goals against, 915 save percentage, 288 for Samsonov and a 902 for him. I think Washington makes another move. Either for maybe a different goaltender or they get another defenseman. 
but I think they bolster their team a little bit and they could supplant maybe Pittsburgh or New York if they fall off a little bit. I think Caroline is too good. I could see the Rangers kind of going through a bit of a drought, but the Rangers are also 7-3 in their last 10, so I don't know. But I think the team that they could supplant is Pittsburgh. I think Pittsburgh could fall off, but they also just got Evgeny Malkin and Crosby's back and Rust and Gensel and all those boys. But Pittsburgh's kind of done it before. They've showed it in the past where they've kind of fallen off. But a team I think could really go on a run here and, and be within that top two, three teams of the Metro is the Washington Capitals. And the final team I think could be on the rise. And again, now I'm going over to the West and I'm looking through some of the teams. And I don't believe in Dallas. And Dallas is four points out of a playoff spot. I don't believe in the Sharks. They're four points out of a playoff spot. I don't know. I don't know if the Canucks can do it, but who knows? I don't believe in Winnipeg for a second. But right now, the Calgary Flames are kind of holding on to that second wildcard spot right now with 52 points. The big advantage for them is they've only played 42 games. If you go through the division right now, I'm looking through. It's the Pacific Division. They're three points behind the Anaheim Ducks. They have six games in hand. They're three points behind the Kings. They have five games in hand. They're five points behind the Vegas Golden Knights. They have four games in hand. They've given up, I think, the third or fourth fewest goals in the NHL. The only teams that are ahead of them right now, Carolina, And that's it. Caroline is the only team that's given up more goals than them. The Islanders are close, but the Islanders have also played 39 games. So they're probably going to give up more. They do not surrender goals. And by the way, their star players are performing this year. I don't know if you know this. You know Johnny Gaudreau is leading the team in scoring, right? Did you know he had 54 points in 42 games? You know who's second? Matthew Kachuk, 20 goals, 25 assists. You want to know why they paid him? That's why. They've got two 20-goal scorers, and Andrew Mangiapane and Matthew Kachuk. Kudrow's at 18, Lindholm's at 15. Guys, they're balanced. Now, I know I talked about this last year at the Flames. I did. I thought they were going to be easily in the top four in the... Canadian division or whatever and they just they fell apart but year two they've kept the balance Jacob Markstrom's playing way better he has a 920 goals against and a 923 save percentage and they got a backup goalie guys Dan Vlader 264 goals against 911 save percentage you know what that tells me they can win games without Markstrom being in net they could not do that last year they've got four guys You know, with 15 plus goals, Blake Coleman's shipped in with 10. They're balanced. And weirdly enough, they're doing it without Mark Giordano in the lineup. But they added Blake Coleman. He's chipped in with 18 points this year. He has been a nice balance. Sean Monaghan has been great, but he's got 19 points in 42 games. Oliver Kylington on the back end has really played a lot better. 21 points in 41 games. Rasmus Anderson weirdly has 21 points with 20 assists. But they're a lot more balanced. They're much better structured. Of course, under Sutter, I feel like this is his fourth tenure here coaching. But I think that Calgary is a team that could really get better. And they could supplant an Anaheim and an L.A. and move into that top three. I really believe that. Now, I think think the Vegas Golden Knights are going to start winning more games with once Jack Eichel gets there. It's game over, I think. And that team's going to be a force to be reckoned with. But I can see Calgary in the two seed. I really can. So now I want to move on to three teams that I think could or will fall out of favor. The first one I'm going to start with, the Edmonton Oilers. Yes, they added a Vander Kane. Yes, they've won, you know, they've won like four or five or three or four, whatever the case may be. They came off a win, an overtime loss, a win, a shootout win, and a win. And like, yeah, you know, they've won, they've won five or six games. I still don't buy the fact that they don't have a goaltender. I don't buy it. It was a problem at the beginning of the season. It's a problem now. And when, you know, the GM front office went to address it, 
they added another forward. <laughs> you can't outscore your problems in the playoffs. It doesn't happen. I'm a Toronto fan. Trust me. I know. Doesn't happen. They went through this last year. They didn't have any. They didn't have the goaltender. They thought Mike Smith was the guy, and they thought he played well enough to sign him to a two-year contract. Miko Koskinen is not the guy. By the way, did you hear at the All Star Game when McDavid asked who one of the unsung heroes were for the team? He said Miko Koskinen. <laughs> they even said he's been sensational. They just said like we leave him out to dry a lot, and he's been our starter. He's been. Been hanging in there like he didn't he didn't really say like he's been unbelievable for us. He's been like the wheel that has been turning us and allowing us to stay in games. Like he didn't even say any of that. He was just like, hey, he's, he's been our starter. He's been taking heat. You didn't really add anything to it. Um, the Oilers are, are they can very much get into the playoffs. That's not what I'm saying, because right now they play the same amount of games as Calgary. They're only three points behind the flames. They're six points behind Anaheim, six points behind the Kings, and they're eight points behind the Vegas Golden Knights. They've got games in hand on all those teams. But I said this at the very beginning of the season. I said Edmonton, in order for them to for me to really buy into them, they got out a defender, they got out a goaltender. They got rid of one, and Ethan Bear, who's in Carolina. And they didn't, they re-signed the same goalie tandem that got them swept last year. And then when they had cap space, they signed a forward. Like they signed another forward. Yes, in the offseason, they traded for Duncan Keith, who's been Duncan Keith. He's old. You know, he's supposed to be more of an offensive guy. He has 14 points in 33 games. They signed Cody Cece. Tyson Berry has been hurt, and Tyson Berry only has 17 points this season. They've leaned on rookie Evan Bouchard, who has 24 points, and Darnell Nurse this season has been playing an average of 26 and a half minutes a night. Their point totals are Dreisaitl, 63, McDavid, 60, Nugent Hopkins, 33, Hyman, 26, Puyarvi, 25. See the drop-off? By the way, to put it in perspective, here are the goaltending stats for the team. Miko Koskinen in 26 games has a 315 goals against and a 900 save percentage on the dot. Mike Smith this season, limited to six games, 376 goals against, 898 save percentage. Stuart Skinner, 12 games played, 285 goals against, 908 save percentage. Nobody cracks 910. And the best goals against average on the team is Skinner at 285. How long have I been saying this on the podcast? Get a goalie and I'll buy into you. Go get Flurry, I'll buy into you. Go get Matt Murray, I'll buy into you. Go get Morazic, I'll buy into you. Go add a defenseman not named Cody Cece and I'll buy into you. Go get if, if they go get a Josh Manson and then bring in like Camp Talbot was there before. He can be there again. Or you find a way to bring in a flurry. Or you find a way to bring in a Matt Murray. I don't know. Braden Holpe. Somebody. I'll buy into you. But I can't right now. Because the same thing I've been preaching from the beginning of the season. They haven't changed. I don't care that they've won 5 of 6. You want to go through those games for a sec? So they beat Washington, yes. They lost to... The Sens, 3-2. They beat the Habs, who aren't even a team. You beat the Predators, sure, who, by the way, we're going to get to them in a second. You beat the Canucks, congrats. And then you beat the Flames, who's a rival, who you basically split down the middle anyways. Before that, you had lost to the Panthers, you had lost to the Sens, you had lost to the Leafs, you had lost to the Rangers, you lost to the Islanders, you lost to the Devils, you lost to the Blues. When they start beating, let me go through the West here. If I see wins against Vegas and St. Louis and Colorado and Minnesota, maybe get a goalie, get a defenseman. Stop adding forwards. You don't need them. Find a way to split McDavid and Dreisaitl. Go get other guys involved. You signed Hyman in the offseason. You traded Ethan Bear for Warren Fogle. And now you signed Evander Kane. 
You don't need any more forwards. You've got Nugent Hopkins too. Go get a defenseman. You don't need to win games 6-5 or 6-4. You can win games 3-2. It's done. You can win games 4-3. Very plausible. I'm not buying them until they get a goalie or a defenseman. Uh, Another team that I think could fall out of favor. We're going to stay in that division. Or no, we're going to go to another division and come back. I'm going to say the Nashville Predators. Here's why. Nashville's had a great year. They're 28-14-4. They're second in the division right now. They're a point up on the Minnesota Wild. The problem, Minnesota has five games in hand. So even if Minnesota goes one and four in those games, they pull ahead of Nashville. They're three points up on the Blues. The Blues have two games in hand, and I believe the Blues are a better team than what we think. I think Nashville relies way too hard on their goaltender, UC Soros, who, by the way, is a... He was an all-star this year. But UC Soros has started 38 of their 45 games or 46 games. He's 24-11-3 with a 235 goals against and a 927 save percentage. (laughs) Their leading scorer is Roman Yossi. That's followed by Matt Duchesne, who, listen, I got to give Matt Duchesne his props. He's bounced back this year. 41 points in 42 games, 21 goals. Philip Forsberg, Mikael Granlund, Ryan Johansson. And then it's Tanner Jennett, Tanner Jennott, Colton Sissions, Luke Cunnan. It falls off significantly. You cannot ask UC Soros to be this brick wall and play 65 to 70 games. I think there's going to be a little fatigue coming. I think a couple teams are going to get the best of them. Your leading scorer can be a defenseman. That's fine. God is Roman Yost. He's so good. But I feel like there's a bit of a fall off coming and they've played the most games of any team in their division. They're tied with the Blackhawks, but the Blackhawks, well, they're second last, and the only reason they're second last is because they play in the same division as Arizona. So I think the Predators fall off there. You've got two teams on their tail within striking distance and with games in hand. I think both Minnesota and St. Louis push them out, and Nashville's going to be competing for a wild card spot, and I don't even know if they get in at that point. And the final team I think could fall out of favor here is the LA Kings. Now, the reason I say the Kings over the Ducks is I believe in the Ducks' youth. I believe in the Ducks' goaltending. I believe in the fact that they've got some talent there. And they could get sneaky and kind of sneak in unknowingly and play almost ignorant hockey. Like, not knowing how good they are. Like, the Toronto Maple Leafs did a few years ago when, like, Marner, Matthews, Hyman, and Nylander were all rookies. But I think the Kings... Could fall out of favor. They're second in the division right now. They've played five more games than Calgary. Five more games than Edmonton. Both teams can catch them. Even though I don't think the Oilers could. Because I think it goes Vegas, Calgary, Anaheim in that division. I could be wrong. But then I go through the rest of their team right now. And I go to their player stats. And kind of they're working a bit of a Johnny Quick, Cal Peterson switch. And Quick's been a lot better this year than in years prior. He's got a 260 goals against 912 save percentage. And Cal Peterson has a 267 goals against and a 900 save percentage. Here's where I think they fall off. Their leading score right now, Anze Kopitar, as always, 42 points in 47 games. Their next highest scorer is Victor Arvidsson with 29 points. That's their second highest scorer. And then you've got Kempe and Ayafalo at 28, Dano at 25, Trevor Moore at 25, Doughty 24. I'm just going to go through the teams in their division, who the team's second leading scorer is. For Vegas, it's Jonathan Marcheseau at 32. For the Ducks, it's Trevor Zegris at 32. For Calgary, their second leading scorer is Matthew Kachuk with 45. For Edmonton, it's McDavid Dreisaitl. 
But even Nugent Hopkins has like 30-something points. In San Jose, it's Thomas Hurdle with 38 points. In Vancouver, even, it's Quinn Hughes with 34. Seattle, of all teams. I'm going to go to Seattle for a second. Jared McCann is 30. Eberle is 26. You want to know what that tells me? You have the same scoring pace as the last place team in your division. And you're in second. The only difference is you've gotten better goaltending. I don't think it lasts. I think teams catch them. I think they get in their heads. They don't score. If they make a move for a player, maybe. But weirdly, I don't see it with this team. I don't see this team going out and trading young players and assets away. Because that's the best part about them is that they're young. You've got... Trevor Moore, Adrian Kempe, and Alex Iafalo, and Arthur Kaliev, and Sean Dursey, and you're going to have Quentin Byfield coming up at some point. He's played seven games. He got his first goal. I don't see them trading away young players on their roster or draft picks because they're building right now. I would expect them to move away like a Dustin Brown, right? An older player, an Olimata, an older player. But I think that the Kings could fall out of favor. So I think the Bruins, Capitals, and Flames rise. I think the Oilers, Predators, and Kings could potentially fall. Uh, the only news tidbit that I really want to get out to here is the Austin Matthews injury. He's going to have the day off today anyway, so there's not really any rumors or any news stories to update him right now. Uh, he took a knee to the back of the head. From what I think, and this is not official, right now he is just day-to-day before they figure it out. I think he has a concussion. There's a possibility that maybe he misses the next three games for the Leafs as they play Thursday in Calgary. They play Saturday in Vancouver, and then they play Monday in Seattle before playing the following Thursday. I think he has a chance to return. that. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe he's just kind of banged up and he's back by the weekend, but I don't know. There's been no reports. It only happened last night. But until then, we'll figure it out. Listen is day to day. I wouldn't expect him to play Thursday, but more information will come out as time goes on. All right, that does it here for the podcast today. Thank you very much for tuning in. As always, make sure you like us and follow us on Instagram and Twitter at ST Hockey Podcast. Give us a review on Apple Podcasts. Follow us along on Google Podcasts and Spotify as well or wherever you get your podcasts, really. And go enjoy the rest of the week. Seriously, go enjoy. Have fun. Thank you for the support. Uh, I'm excited to see all over the back half here which teams rise, which teams fall. Trade deadline is going to be something, a a topic as uh, the weeks slowly get to approach. But until then, enjoy. I'll see you next week. That's a wrap. Mm